Visit licentureexams.com and try our samples completely free of charge. Welcome to our Theory to Therapy series here at licentureexams.com. My name is Stacy, and this is my co-host, Dr. Linton Hutchinson. Hi there, everybody. This series is all about helping you to take all that textbook theory knowledge that you got from graduate school, hopefully, and put it to some practical use on your exam. It's one thing to know who the wizard was behind psychoanalysis or rational motor behavior therapy, but do you know how to apply the principles of those theories in a clinical setting? That's right. As therapists, it's important for you to have an understanding of foundational counseling theories, but it's even more essential to be able to implement those approaches effectively. The exam is designed to test your ability to do just that. So, Linton, I thought we'd take a look at a case study today involving an adolescent. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure thing. Um, What's this case study about? All right. Well, it's about a 14-year-old girl named Gracie. Got that? Gracie, not Stacy. I, yeah, uh-huh, sure. Uh-huh. I was having some trouble at school. And the scenario starts out by telling me that I'm a therapist working in a school setting, and my client has fallen behind in her classes. She's really struggling in school, and she's actually been begging her mom to homeschool her, um, but her mom's not in a place to take on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Her parents are divorced, and she and her mom moved to an apartment that's in a different school district. So now she's you know going to a new school. Her dad's not paying child support, and her mom is having a hard time financially. Well, okay. Let me check in with you and summarize what I've heard so far. Mm -hmm. 14-year-old female refusing to go to school, parents are divorced, recently moved, and mom is struggling with finances. Does that track? Yep. We are on the same page. So... The scenario goes on to tell me that she has not been able to make any friends. And when she tried to post a picture of herself in her new school on Facebook, she started getting comments from mean girls at school who made fun of her clothes, the style of her glasses, and her crooked teeth. Okay, so that's all the information we have to go on so far in the case study. Okay, I got it. So when we're looking at this case study, you need to consider her age and her situation. She's 14 years old, and she's being bullied. That's the main issues that we have, Stacy. Okay. So given that information, what do you think about solution-focused therapy? It's all about focusing on strengths, successes, solutions. It's brief. Um, so basically, you work with Gracie to identify her goals, and then you collaborate on problem-solving strategies that she can use to reach those goals. Yeah. That sounds like a perfect place to start. You know, you hear the term collaborate a lot in therapy, mm-hmm. and this is especially important when you're dealing with, you know who, teenagers. Oh, yes. They don't have a lot of control in their lives, so it's important to give them at least some semblance of power and control in, in the therapy process. Um, there's so many restrictions when you're 14. You can't drive, you can't vote. <laughs> True. You can't get a, a job. And you're totally under the thumb of your parents and definitely under the thumb of the school. Well, hang on there. Speak for yourself. I loved school when I was growing up and I had this great little gig going when I was in second grade. I don't know if I told you this before. So I've always. okay. well, I've always loved puzzles. You know this about me. And I drew up these wild mazes. I got really creative with them. And then word search puzzles were the other thing I really liked. 
So then I went and made copies at the Xerox machine at my mom's work because I go in after school there sometimes to work. And then I bring them back to school and I sold them. I put them together in these little booklets and I sold them to the other kids in my class for like 25 cents a pop, which was big money back then in second grade. Oh, yeah. You did that when you were in second grade? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's quite the venture, Stacey. That explains a lot of things. And I thought it was all due only to your German heritage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it worked well until I got busted because apparently it was against school policy. You're not thinking about that stuff. Uh, It's against school policy to sell stuff to other kids in school. So how was I a little, you know, second grader supposed to know that? But um, okay. well, back to our case study. We've picked solution focused therapy as our theoretical approach. Now, what would this look like in practice? Well, let's see. There's some general steps to follow when using solution-focused therapies, especially with a teenager. The first Mm -hmm. step is to establish rapport. What do you think, Stace? I like it. Okay. Now, this step is not exclusive to solution-focused therapy. It's really your first task with any client, no matter what theoretical construct you're using. The steps will become more specific to solution-focused therapy as we continue. But to start the the therapeutic process, we're going to listen to Gracie's concerns and validate her feelings. Understanding her unique worldwide view and building a connection is critical uh, in a theoretical uh, therapy. It's critical in the therapy process, especially with a 14-year-old. Without that, Gracie won't feel comfortable to share her experiences, and you're not going to be able to do anything with her. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, Elsa sounds like she might be a tough cookie to crack, because I know teenagers can be notoriously guarded. They can be defensive. So we need to be aware of that as we move forward and remember to nurture this therapeutic alliance you're talking about. Okay, so what's next, Linton? <laughs> okay, all right. The next step is to identify the problem. Now, you as a therapist might have your own ideas about what a client's problem is, but your job as a solution-focused therapist is to understand the problem from the client's perspective, not yours. Mm -hmm. And remember, solution-focused therapy is not aimed at understanding the problem in depth, but to create a context where the client's issues are addressed. Pretty simple. We don't need to deep dive into the client's past just enough to create an understanding of the situation. We're snorkeling here. We're not deep diving. <laughs> but who wants to stay on the surface of things? I know. I know. I'm, I'm tempted to try to ex- examine and, and explore Gracie's problem from every angle. But when you're wearing a solution-focused hat, your role is to focus on finding solutions rather than analyzing how the problem got to be a problem. Remember, solution-focused therapy is brief, so minimal time is spent talking about the actual problem. The majority of therapy time should be spent on talking about, you guessed it, solutions. Okay. All right. You're right. So let's say in the case study, Gracie tells me that she doesn't feel like she fits in and she doesn't want to go to school. That's what she identifies as the problem. So what do I do next? Uh, 
Okay, now it's time to create some treatment goals. Work with her to determine what she would like to achieve through therapy, not what you would want her to achieve. The goal should be positive, specific, and realistic. All right, right. Well, I have a question before we continue. Gracie is a 14-year-old. I'm guessing that if I ask her what her goals are that she wants to work on in therapy, I'd probably just get like a blank stare. Maybe she'd sigh and roll her eyes, something like that. Uh, no kidding. That's a given. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the technique that comes to mind. It's called the miracle question. Heard of it? Mm-hmm. Well, people also call it the magic wand question, especially when you're working with younger kids. This technique involves you asking the client, to imagine what would life look like if your problem was miraculously solved overnight and then have her think about how she would know that it worked. Oh, okay. All right. So in this case study, let's say she tells me I'd wake up and the bullying would be gone and I'd actually want to go to school. So that gives us some clarity. I could work with her to create some overall treatment goals like achieving a sense of belonging acceptance with peers at school. How does that sound? Yeah, you got it. Now, I know what you're going to ask me next, Stacey. Mm, you're going to ask. Yeah, exactly. What next? <laughs> 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 okay, you got me, Linton. What's next? Yeah, you're right. Well, okay. once we've solidified our treatment goals, how do we now use solution-focused therapy to actually work toward achieving those goals? Okay, well, at this point, the focus is on finding things that Gracie has done well and building up from there. And we can do this in a few ways. One method is asking coping questions. Mm -hmm. We'll ask her about a time when her problem wasn't present or it was less severe than it is now. This helps us to identify strategies that she has already successfully used in the past and can be used now in the present. Hmm. This sounds a little bit like when we say it's in there, Linton, when we're when we're talking to students, is that they've already got these strategies. They've already done stuff successfully. It's already in there. They just need to get it back out again, find it again. Okay, so let's say this time Gracie tells me that at her last school, she won a few awards in math competitions. She's an artistic gal who loves to make paper collages. And she's great at solving puzzles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Now that I'm thinking about it, it sounds a little like this case might be a cloaked self-disclosure, Stacey. (laughs) All right, Linton, don't get ahead of yourself there, buddy. Just so we're on the same track, this case study, all names, characters, and incidents portrayed are fictitious. No identification with actual persons, living or deceased. Places, buildings, and products are intended or should be inferred. Uh Uh-huh. It sounded more and more like this may have triggered some uh, unresolved childhood issues for you, Stacey. Maybe being loved for what you could do and accomplish rather than just for who you are. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a whole other episode and can of worms there. Perhaps when we talk about psychodynamic therapy. Uh-huh. <laughs> but let's get back to our puzzle-loving teenager, Gracie. No way, shape, or formed, Stacy. (laughs) Are there any other techniques that would be helpful to identify strengths and resources that Gracie already possesses? Sure. You can uh, use the exception question where you ask her about times in the past when the problem didn't ever exist. For example, Mm -hmm. Gracie, can you tell me about a time when you felt happy and accepted at school? Something like that. 
this can open up a discussion about her positive experiences rather than focusing what on her current bullying. What was she doing then and what can she draw on for support? Okay, that sounds good. So we've identified her existing strengths, skills, and resources. And then how do we use this information to help move her forward? Aha. Now it's time to put the puzzle together there, Stacy. Oh, I like this metaphor, Linton. At this point, you and your client will develop a plan centered around their strengths and their resources. Remember, those treatment goals you established earlier? Now you can begin to brainstorm how to actively achieve them. This often involves setting small achievable skills, experimenting with different behaviors, and reinforcing what has already worked. Okay, I gotcha. So can you give me an example of what you would consider as something small and achievable? Yeah, okay. Um, Let me think. Let's say that Gracie wants to feel more accepted and like she belongs somewhere at school, okay? Mm -hmm. One baby step could be to find an extracurricular activity that interests her, something with a group of people who share similar interests, you know, like math, puzzles, and art. So maybe she could join a math club, chess club, or sign up for an art class after school, something like that. Maybe having her look forward to something will make Gracie feel part of a group. And this will go a long, long way towards achieving that goal. I love it. That makes a lot of sense. So I know a big part of therapy involves reviewing progress. You hear about this all the time with treatment plans. Review progress, review progress. So how do you use solution-focused therapy to evaluate the effectiveness of treatment? Okay, that's where the scaling questions come into play. We ask her to rate her current situation on a scale from 1 to 10, with 10 being she feels completely connected and accepted at school, and 1 being she doesn't feel like she belongs there at all. We could use this rating system over time when you're doing therapy with her to evaluate if the interventions that you've done, that you've collaboratively put together with her, is working or if other approaches need to be tried. All right. That makes perfect sense. So just like in real life, if something is not working, you can change it. All right. So now now I have one more question before we wrap up, Linton. Can you use solution-focused therapy in other cases? Of course. Solution-focused therapy can be useful in so many different contexts. I think it's best used with uh, clients that want a practical and concrete solutions to their current issues. And want to look and develop ways to make positive changes without spending years and years diving into their past. It's really helpful when working with young people. So it mm. emphasizes building on strengths and resources they already possess to help them move quickly forward. It's also valuable in cases where the client has difficulty verbalizing their experiences or accepting or being able to access deep levels of insight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. So let's sum up the steps that you'd most likely use with solution-focused therapy, if you will. Okay. Establish rapport. Identify the problem. Establish the goals. Look for previous solutions that have worked. 
explore exceptions to the problem, develop those solutions, and lastly, review progress with the client. Okay, thank you very much, Linton. As we wrap up today's episode, we want to leave you with this message. Remember to focus on what the client can do, not what they can't do, but what they can do. Because when you empower a client and you recognize their unique strengths, they can start to believe in themselves and make changes in their lives. And that is the crux of solution-focused therapy. Hey, I think we just solved a problem. How to approach case studies like this when you take the exam. Ah, and just think of what we could do if someone gave us a miracle, Linton, or had a magic wand. <laughs> well, until next time. It's, it's in, in there. there.